Welcome to the New Zealand Tech Marketers podcast, a tech marketers group passion project where we interview inspiring marketers working in some of New Zealand's leading tech brands. We're very excited for you to join us today for this episode of the New Zealand Tech Marketers podcast and enjoy this interview with Kat Waters, who will tell you about her story. With eight years of marketing experience, Kat will talk to you about her experience in the tech sector. Thanks for joining us, Kat. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Could you tell me a little bit um, about your career and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, absolutely. So I moved to New Zealand right after I graduated from university. Um, and I went to university to study graphic design. So I was already not on a marketing path, but things kind of converged. And the first job that I had when I came to New Zealand was I was actually Ask Nicely's first employee. Um, it was a contract job. It was just Aaron Ward and John Ballinger in John Ballinger's garage in the back of his house in Ponsonby. So it was not at all what it looks like today. Um, but that was my first look at what SaaS was and what tech was. And I was totally hooked. Um, unfortunately, I was on a visa that was very strict that I needed to have a permanent job and they were not in a position to hire a permanent employee just yet. So I had to move on. Um, and I ended up working for a home delivered grocery company and another SaaS company uh, with a handful of products that they offered before moving on to my current role, which is a marketing lead at Element X, which is where I'm at now. Um, I really enjoy tech marketing. I like from that first little glance, I just really knew that that's what I wanted to do. I really enjoy uh, data um, and I love working in the AI space specifically. So I have a lot of fun. Um, just, you know, it's a good opportunity to do some storytelling. Definitely. And also bring bring in that um, your previous graphic design experience too. As it happened, I ended up doing that quite a bit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, so talk, you talked a little bit about your roles. Professionally, what have you found most challenging and what have you been most proud of? Hmm. Um, I, I really, I'm always, I've always been a data-driven person. I really like knowing I like looking at numbers and seeing what's going on. And it's actually, that's what pulled me out of um, graphic design in school. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, uh, when we, you know, we were designing our sort of little billboards and magazine spreads and banners for websites and things like that. I was always more curious in creating an action, like a click through from a banner or getting somebody to purchase a product from a magazine spread or an ad or something like that. And it turns out that there's not a lot in graphic design specifically that you do that shows you the analytics. That's kind of the more marketing side of things. So it turned out that that was kind of what I wanted to do all along. I really enjoy just the data and seeing user paths through websites and all those kinds of things. Um, and I've been in a lot of build situations in my career, uh, a lot of opportunities to, you know, sort of get stuck in and create something when there wasn't something there already. For example, um, when I started at my last job, nobody was really tracking what anyone was doing on the website. Nobody was really kind of keeping an eye on how we could optimize things. So I didn't have any data to make improvements. And that's always really stressful is to sort of trust your gut um, and understand that the world of marketing is not this perfect little white lab coat experiment where you can just kind of pull some pull some variables and adjust and keep some controls the same. There's uncertainty that exists. And I understand that. And it's kind of, it is what makes it fun, but it is also a, a very challenging part of my job. <laughs> a daunting part as well, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I don't feel like I'm the only one that thinks that at all. <laughs> no, I think a lot of us are on that same team and 
yeah. it's crazy to think that you know people would invest in something and not monitor how the numbers are coming back to make sure it's that's successful right. and what changes can be made but that's what we're here for <laughs> yes exactly without that we wouldn't have a job <laughs> yeah and w what are you most proud of oh so um recently what actually my most recent uh my current position at element x uh when i was hired the company wasn't called element x it was called spark 64 and my first really massive job was like my you know task at at uh, element x was a rebrand project and um that was that was very challenging in a lot of ways it was a massive product sort of a massive project lots of different stakeholders just a long like a length of time that needed you know that everything needed to go on for and i i'm really proud of the way that it turned out uh, it was not without its trials and tribulations but i think that has to be that has to be up there with sort of one of my one of my crowning achievements so far in my career and I guess with the rebrand as well, talking about your graphic experience, it brings in that side too. You've yeah, got that absolutely. And that knowledge. Yeah, I had a, I had a lot of background going into what needed to happen. I knew I knew the importance of a good logo and you know the importance of a cohesive brand and all of that, both from the marketing angle and from the uh, graphic design angle as well. Yeah. Oh, I guess um, you've worked in both B two B and B two C jobs, and obviously the tech marketers group are mostly better be what would be your preference and why <laughs> put you on the spot I definitely i absolutely 100 prefer b2b i think um and i've done you're right i've done both so i've worked you know directly with customers as well and it's funny that my my thing that i say that i dislike is not having data and i do find that in b2c especially because right now i'm in not only b2b but also enterprise b2b so like our numbers are really, really low. Um, in B2C, you get a much larger sample size, generally a lot quicker, which can be really good for running experiments. So it's a bit silly to say that I prefer the opposite, but I do think it's just a better fit for me. I think when I was getting into marketing, I initially thought the world of B2B was going to be full of, you know, stuffy, stuffy people and boring content. And there's some of that out there, but it doesn't have to be like that. And I am, it's very strategic. It's very fun. I really enjoy working with the business audience and I find B2B a lot of fun. I agree with that. I, <laughs> I think there's a lot to be had for B2B and um, it's also that purchasing, obviously often the B2B is a bigger cost. So yes. actually getting people to cross that line, it's more yes. of a challenge too. It is. It's a lot less. I use this example a lot. It's not, um, you're not selling shoes online. It's a lot more complicated than that. And a lot of times, especially an enterprise or with larger products or products that are going to be used in business, there's, um, there's a buyer group rather than an individual buyer. There's a group of people sort of making that decision together. And that complicates things, but in a really interesting way. And it's kind of fun to delve down into the conversations that people are having about, you know, some messages that are really important to some parts of the buyer group are not important to other parts of the buyer group, but that doesn't mean that they're not important in the, important in the overall marketing messaging. And it's just, I really enjoy the complexity. It's a lot of fun to work through. Yeah. And I, I think also you tend to get a lot more feedback in B2B. So your actual product offering tends to improve more over time because you are, you do have those more one-on-one -on -one kind of yes. deliverables. That is true. That's a, yeah, it's a good opportunity to learn from from the audience who's using your product. Definitely. 
Um, I just wanted to kind of change the subject a little bit, but still kind of on the same train of thought. But you were part of the first, we were both on the first Emerging Leaders. We were, that's how we met. That's how we met. <laughs> <laughs> um, why did you choose to take part of it? Um, and how did it help you in your role at the time? Yeah, um, so the timing was perfect for me. Um, it was a couple of months after I'd started my current position at LMNX, only I think a month or two. And we were also, because I, I did in fact start this job in the middle of Auckland's longest lockdown um, during the, the last of the COVID pandemic there, um, the last lockdown rather. And I was just in a room in my house lockdown, it was oh I don't even it was it was long enough that I've blocked it out I think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm a homebody as well like I really enjoy my house and my cats and my time here and I enjoy not having a commute we work our offices um uh, remote we we only go in once a week um, but at that point because I'd been hired during the lockdown I hadn't actually met any of my coworkers face to face um, and I was, you know, in a position where I really wanted to make a really big difference um, very quickly. And I was also quite literally stuck in my house. And <laughs> the emerging, emerging leaders came up on LinkedIn and I was like, this looks really awesome. Um, I think even, you know, COVID aside, as marketers, as tech marketers, especially in New Zealand, the marketing function is very frequently just one person hammering away at a computer, you know, sort of frantically doing the work and wearing a lot of different marketing hats, but also sometimes non-marketing hats. And when I started at LMNX, I was the sole marketer as well. I've got a little team now, which is amazing. Um, but Emerging Leaders was a really good opportunity to talk to other people that were in the same position as me, perhaps not as recently employed as I was, but sort of, you know, um, not, you know, they were, the majority of them were also working as uh, individual marketers in their own roles and they were also sort of around my age and willing and excited to learn and it's a really good opportunity I found it was a really good opportunity to sort of get out of my own head and get to talk to some people that were in a similar position mm. and also just get different perspectives on certain totally. challenges that's what I found is um you know when I sat in there the, the team was just me and you don't have anyone to bounce any ideas off mm -mm. so sometimes not that you're only looking in a certain way, but you you need those different experience people with different life experience to to look at it from a different perspective to give yeah. you a bit of understanding what the problem actually is. Yeah, and that's what I, I found. Have, I had a professor at my at my you know my degree of graphic design, Rusty. He was a great guy. Um, he used to say design doesn't happen in a vacuum, and we're not doing design anymore, right? I'm not. I it has carried through, but it's not. It's not necessarily that, but I don't think, I think it can be extended. I think nothing happens in a vacuum and it's very important to get that sort of feedback from other people, like you say. Um, and I also think it's important to get feedback from like a variety of sources. A lot of times, especially earlier on in our careers, you get told to find a mentor and get some, like talk to somebody who's been in the industry a really long time, find a leader, those kinds of things. And I think that's really valuable, right? But I also think it's really valuable to get feedback from people that are kind of in a similar position to you because those perspectives are different um, and can, in a lot of ways, they can relate to you a lot better and give you 
not better feedback, but different feedback, which I think is important to get yourself out of that vacuum. And also, like, I don't know about you, but being, you know, a sole marketer, or if you're on a very small team, sometimes yeah. you double think and you're like, am I actually on the right track? Am I doing the right thing? Or am I not? Like, yes, <laughs> you know, you can get quite far. Be quite far down that track <laughs> if you don't have anyone else to talk to. <laughs> yeah, and you're so far down that rabbit hole, you're like, well, the only way out of here is down. Yes. <laughs> so I found that quite useful too as part of the cohort. Mm, I agree. And it was nice, like uh, the structure of emerging leaders for, I suppose, people who haven't participated in it, who might be listening to us, is that it was kind of, it was a good opportunity to listen to and get feedback from, you know, those leaders like I was talking about, but also just to kind of chat with like people on your own and we could kind of bring up whatever we wanted to talk about. And I found that really helpful because it was very tailored to just sort of whatever we whatever we needed to discuss or we're having problems with. Yeah, definitely. Um, and staying on that whole tech marketers group, you won the Young Tech Marketers of the Year Award at the TMD conference this year, so congrats. Thank you. Could you tell me a bit more about the journey with Element X, which led you to winning the award? Because you obviously had, there was a submission and you told us all about what the amazing work you've been doing. So <laughs> Yeah, so it was, I talked about the rebrand, like that was, that was my project. So the rebrand that I mentioned earlier as kind of my uh, crowning achievement this far in my career. Um, it was the, it's, it took about a year and a half. It was just me. Rebrands happen faster when you have a bigger team, but that took about a year and a half for us. Um, previously, like I said, the name of the business was Spark 64 and the logo had been, it was a little, it was a cute little like sort of flame logo with the 64 inside of it. And the, the name came about because it was supposed to be like the spark of an idea and uh, nod to their favorite gaming console, the Nintendo 64. Um, the, the business was founded by a pair of friends who met in college um, and they came up with that name in the way that you might expect from a pair of friends that met in college. And they came up with the logo, I think in Microsoft Paint, just very quickly. So it was time. Um, yeah. It had been, you know, it, it, there, and it was time for a little bit of um, considered thinking to go into the branding, and it was a, it was a really good opportunity. It was also a huge ask for um, those guys, the board, to let me come in, brand spanking new to the business, and say, hey, I think we need a new logo, we need a new name, we need a new website, new everything. Um, and I, I truly cannot thank the board enough for trusting me with this project. Because um, without their support, it wouldn't have happened. I simply wouldn't have done it. Um, and you're right, like like you said, my my um, visual communications graphic design experience definitely came in and had a lot to do with it. But it was, I mean, honestly, it was, so much of it was project management and finding the right people to work on things and doing the research and trusting that I wasn't going to have all the answers, but that it was just okay and we were going to move forward and build a new brand, which was really beautiful. I really enjoyed the whole process. Wow. Um, I know that um, you talked a little bit about the change after the rebrand, how you, <laughs> if you had your time, you change it a little bit. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Um, so in a perfect world, we would have made these decisions before we did the rebrand. 
Um, but that is not how the world works. It's not, it's not a little lab coat experiment um, and that's fine. So what we've ended up doing now post rebrand um, is we've made a quite specific uh, pivot in our business. Um, LMNX used to be a very broad AI services company and we're now specializing in a particular industry and we're specializing with a particular product. Um, and we are still very early ages, early stages in that. It's been, as you would expect, quite a journey to go from almost 10 years. We had our 10-year anniversary in October of this year, so almost 10 years uh, as a services business and now pivoting over to a sort of SaaS-based product. Um, and it hasn't happened. Like, we're not, we're not all the way there yet, but we're making really good progress. Um, but, and some things, it's interesting. It's interesting from my perspective because... Some of the things about the brand that we've built and some of the things about what we do are just exactly the same as they were before. And other things have changed completely. And I'm really enjoying that as it comes together, but it is still very much a work in progress. And um, I do wish I do wish we had done the rebrand after, but that's not the way the world works. And that's totally right. fine. Fine stuff, eh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Could you talk a little bit? Um, I guess we've already talked about what Element X actually does. Oh, yes. Um, I guess I'll, yeah, I can do a little, a little intro for you there. So like I said, LMNX has been around for 10 years as of last month. Um, and for the first, you know, basically nine and a half of those years, we were a uh, AI services business. Um, so anything that you can imagine that has to do with AI, we were all over that. We've done um, AI powered chatbots, which is actually kind of more what we're specializing in now. Um, we've done computer vision projects. We've done sort of sensor-based. We have a client that has um, puts uh, sensors in helicopters, and we work on the software for that. Uh, does things like crash detection and understands um, flight path information, like altitude, and sort of interprets that into a story of how the craft was flown. Um, things like uh, infrared fire detection and um, meat cut identification and all these kinds of like really cool AI, some edge deployments, some, you know, all, all kinds of different things. And so we've taken that really broad experience of just loving trying new technology and watching it as it evolves, especially like, oh my goodness, AI has shifted dramatically even in the last 12 months. Um, taking that on through and now we basically specialize in conversational AI and con conversational and generative. So if you think about how chatbots used to be uh, and then you think about any experience you might have using ChatGPT, you'll get a pretty good understanding of how much things have changed even in the last 12 months uh, and kind of where things are headed, which is pretty wild. Wow. I guess you're probably a bit over the whole <laughs> chat <laughs> I mean, you know, <laughs> and AI and all of that, but I would like to hear your thoughts on it. Sure. Um, and what the, you think the influence will be going forward, because obviously you deal with it on a day-to-day -day yeah. basis. Um, yes. I'd really be, I'll let yeah, you totally. take the lead. Yeah. So long before ChatGPT became a household name, version one was released, which happened in 2018. So we've been we've been working with GPT since 2018, although it was not nearly as powerful. It didn't it didn't do it could it could sort of it got to a point where it could string together a basic sentence, but um, they talk about running it through these uh, tests. You know, they do like standardized testing and they sort of judge its ability to complete um, the SATs or whatever. It was not it was not performing on par with the human. 
at, at that point, but it was good for very specific use cases, right? And we used it for very specific use cases. Um, I think the interesting thing about, the most interesting thing about ChatGPT from my perspective is that it really changed the kinds of conversations that we were starting to have about AI with people that we talked to. Um, we used to have to say, because for a long time you were using AI all the time. If you have an iPhone that unlocks with Face ID, you are using AI every time you unlock your iPhone, that's facial recognition. That's that's an example of AI. And that used to be the example we would use of, yes, AI is totally a, a thing that gets used. People people think about it kind of in the, in the space age um, science fiction kind of context of a thing that, you know, doesn't really exist in reality and isn't practical. That's, that was a sort of a misconception that many folks had, I think, before ChatGPT. They didn't realize that there were actual practical applications and furthermore didn't realize that they were even using those practical applications in the form of, you know, face ID on their phones or whatever. But now it's very easy to say, to, to get across the point that AI is practical, functional, functional, easy to productionize, those kinds of things. So it kind of starts off a conversation a lot further along than before, which is pretty wild. Yeah, it's just even since it's been released, how much yes. it's improved, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And now even, I mean, ChatGPT is the one that's still available to the public for free. Like you can have those conversations with it if you'd like, but it's no longer the most recent version. There's GPT-4 that's, um, I mean, you can pay for it, it's available. Um, and that's even better. It's scoring even better on those SATs and standardized tests. And and that's what that's what kind of we're using now as well, which is, you know. <laughs> Amazing. Um, I guess, my next question really is around still around that AI kind of focus. You're in the industry. Do you attend any, are there any like AI conferences that you attend or um, just events or, you know, anything like that that you want to talk about? Yeah, um, we did. Well, there are there are a lot of AI conferences. It seems, and I, I don't think I could tell you why this is, but it seems that all of the conferences for us happen sort of September to November. So we've just come off a big bunch of them. And I think now as, as we sort of wind down for Christmas, um, things will start to lighten up a little bit. But um, we did recently attend the AI Summit and I have a teeny tiny little humble brag that I would like to put up, which is that we at the AI Summit showcased the world's first digital human live panelist. Um, so we had, instead of sending a, a human to set up on a panel, we had, there were other humans on the panel, which was very cool. And we had our digital human, Sophie, who used um, our uh, our friends at Unique Digital Humans, had the interface for her. And we basically created the brains for Sophie, who was able to listen to the conversation the panelists were having and respond in real time, which has never happened before. It was a completely unscripted conversation. And she was able to provide the insights of AI at a conference about AI. And it was, it was really cool to see. <laughs> Um, but overall, as far as, and you asked about sort of what we're seeing at these conferences, everyone's really excited about these new possibilities, specifically with, you know, ChatGPT and beyond and um, what, like the most recent, even in the last couple of weeks, there have been new developments within the GPT space with um, the new uh, OpenAI has released their, or has announced the release of their store by the time this is posted, it might be live. Um, but they're basically going to allow developers, much like a developer would create an app, allow developers to create customized GPTs 
Um, and those are going to create these really specific use cases for the product that are really powerful. Um, and that's kind of what people are hanging out for. You see the thing and it's cool, but you don't necessarily immediately understand how it's going to benefit you directly, you as you know a potential business or whatever. Um, and the other shoe is kind of just now starting to drop and people are starting to just now understand how it can be productionized for them, what's the value for them. And in kind of the same way that, you know, face ID on the iPhone or even just putting a phone in everyone's pocket changed how we operate as a world. I think, I think that's the kind of scale that we're dealing with here. As far as changing how we operate as a world, it changes so many job roles and gives so many opportunities for personalization and knowledge access, which is just really important. Um, so yeah, I, it would be, it's impossible to predict the future and this area is changing so quickly, but it is on scale with phones in everyone's pockets. It's a, it's a very big deal. Yeah. Um, I just want to extend on that a little bit. You obviously have the marketing background. What do you think marketers should be doing right now? Kind of stay ahead. What were you, you know, what are you doing to stay ahead? That's like, honestly, like if I give you a piece of advice on what you should go out and do today, by the time this podcast out, comes out, it will be out of date, right? The best yeah. thing that you can do is stay up to date with what's coming out. Um, I hate Twitter. So well, it's not Twitter anymore. It's X. Subscribe to the updates. Make sure that you're getting information as it's coming out about what's happening. Tr play with the tools, like try the little free trials and see if you can when you're playing with the tools, put yourself in the situation of like, okay, how would I use this? Ask it the questions. Don't just go into chat GPT and say, what should I get my husband for Christmas this year, right? Like that's easy and it'll give you a really nice list, but start asking it some marketing questions if you want marketing answers, right? And, and um, you know, keep, think about, think about the response that it's giving you, judge the response that it's giving you, come back in a couple weeks, try again, and it will have improved, which is really scary but that's yeah. part of the fun, right? But yeah, I think I think the best advice I can give is stay up to date. Yeah, I think I agree with that. So I'll be <laughs> <laughs> subscribing very soon. <laughs> um, you talked a little about Twitter before, but I wanted to mention, I know that you probably don't want me to mention this, but you've got a little side project going on. Mm -hmm. um, could you tell me a little bit about your influencer status? <laughs> yeah. I really like the word creator. Creator is a good word, but I don't think that's quite the ne negative connotations of influencer. Um, so I make stuff. I've been making all of my own clothes, everything that I wear since 2016, um, but I've been sewing for a lot longer than that. So it's always been a part of my life. And I started blogging in 2008, actually. And that was my first look at analytics. Like I hooked up Google Analytics to my like WordPress blog in 2008 and was fascinated by the number of people that were visiting and reading multiple articles and how they traveled through the site and which things were more popular. And that was kind of me in marketing before I knew what marketing was. And then I mentioned I moved here right after I graduated. So I'm, I'm American, moved here right after I graduated and didn't have any friends in New Zealand. Um, and I started on Instagram basically as a way to try to kind of make friends. And then it turns out, lo and behold, Instagram has analytics too. This is the greatest thing ever. So then I got into the analytics of Instagram and started growing that intentionally and kind of trying to figure out how to pull levers and see what would happen to grow it. Um, and I really, as it turns out, I really enjoy making educational content and kind of carrying people along for the ride of showing them, yes, it is possible to make all of your own clothes or do these projects or you know have, have this fun in this way because it is fun for me. 
And then similarly, I started my TikTok account during COVID when I was stuck in my house. Um, and lo and behold, there's there's analytics in there too. It's so much fun. And now I'm working on YouTube. I've been on YouTube for about two months now. And it's really interesting. Like I really enjoy the algorithms. I really enjoy the differences between the platforms and looking and seeing what performs and what doesn't. And also I just really enjoy making the content and sewing as a hobby. It's a really nice thing to get me away from a screen considering I spend so much time in front of a screen when I'm working. Oh, definitely. How many <laughs> followers or are they followers? Oh no, yes. Um, so I think I'm sitting at about 55,000 followers on Instagram, 116,000 on TikTok. Uh, YouTube, which I will remind you that I only started two months ago, is at about uh, 2,500. So that's that's been fun. And um, my blog, which I have been running since 2008, I've got a, a healthy number of YouTube, or sorry, a healthy number of um, newsletter subscribers on there. I think maybe around 9,000. And, and the stats are reasonable enough to <laughs> reasonable enough for me to have some little peruses through the data and see what's going on. Um, visitors oh, obviously change. That's really cool. Yeah. And it's great to see that you've got that passion that, you know, you obviously have your job, but you yeah. be part of your job. Yeah. and your side hustle as well it's really it's interesting how much overlap there is like and I, we talked about b2b versus b2c and it kind of like the the instagram stuff that i do the social media stuff that i do is very similar to b2c in a lot of ways it is b2c in a lot of ways except that i'm not a business i'm just doing it for fun yeah. um but it's like there's a lot of marketing information to be learned lessons to be learned um from this little process. And I have, I do believe I'm a better marketer for having experienced social media firsthand in the way that I have. Definitely. Oh, that's awesome. And congrats for all those followers. I'll have to say. Thank you. <laughs> uh, to end off the podcast, do you have any final comments about AI or anything that you want our listeners to take away from our conversation? Hmm. I think, I mean, I do think to say again, the most important thing you can do is try the tech and keep on top of what's going on, um, especially in the context of how it's going to impact your life or the life of your business as it happens. But, and understand that where we're, it feels like something big has happened already, it feels like ChatGPT has come out and changed the way we work and it's changed so much and, you know, everything is different now than it was. And that's true in a lot of ways, but it's still changing. I think that that's it's important to recognize that we're currently right now in the middle of this big shift rather than something has sort of happened already. Um, and we haven't we haven't reached the post chat GPT stasis yet. Um, so I think it's yeah, I think it's going to be really important to just keep an eye on the space and watch as things evolve and partake as much as you can in the technology. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming along, Kat. You've been fantastic and you've Thanks shared me. amazing insights and I'm sure our listeners feel the same. If you have any questions for Kat or for future episodes, please get in touch. Kat, where can our listeners get in touch with you or reach you? Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm Kat Waters on LinkedIn. And uh, if you are really curious about the sewing content, uh, I am cat.makes everywhere. Cat and then the, the period and then makes like makes things. Um, but yeah, I'm on uh, LinkedIn is probably the best <laughs> professional uh, outreach that you could you could do there. And I would love to connect with anyone who has any questions about any of those things. <laughs> and if you'd like to reach out to us at the Tech Marketers Group, you can find our website and social accounts in the show notes. 
Punmua NZ Tech Marketing content. Be sure to like this episode and give us a follow. Until next time.